Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. Here are your hosts, John from Global Recon and Mike from Fieldcraft LLC, giving you the matter of facts. Fieldcraftsurvival.com, globalrecon.net. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm here with Mike Glover, who's your show's co-host. And we have a very special guest on today. Uh, it's Captain Florent Fulberg. Uh, and some of you guys may already know uh, Florent. Uh, he was a Medal of Honor recipient, uh, captain in the Army. Uh, so I'm going to hand over to Mike, and Mike's going to take it from here. Hey, guys. It's Mike from Philcraft. Uh, we have an honor, and, uh, and we're very privileged to have Captain Groberg on. We'll just call him Captain for the duration of the uh, episode. Uh, Captain Groberg is a Medal of Honor recipient. Um, got re- retired from the from the Army as a captain. Um, sir, are you there? Are you online? I'm right here. Thanks for having me on. I know it's a pleasure to have have you on Global Recon. It's a uh, it's an honor that we get to. You're the, actually the first uh, Medal of Honor recipient that we've had the pleasure to talking to. Um, di- diving in straight into it, um, can you can you do us a favor? Because a lot of people don't know. You know, especially on, on the officer side, uh, me being a, a former sergeant major in the military, they get the enlisted side. But as far as the officer side, they're uh, pretty unfamiliar grounds. Um, can you tell us before we talk about uh, the, the time in which you received your Medal of Honor or or, or, or did what you did to receive your uh, Medal of Honor? Can we go ahead and talk about your Army career leading up? Uh, to the point in which you got out, and 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 what was your driving motivation to, to to serve and join the military? So I'll start with you know my driving and motivation to serve and and join the army specifically, like many of us, it started on 9/11. I mean, I grew up as a kid, always had this idea that I wanted to be in the military and or I wanted to be an FBI agent, kind of the kid's dreams. But 9/11 definitely solidified, cemented my my path in regards of joining the military. Uh, it just changed my life. Uh, I had an opportunity to, to leave college. I was in University of Maryland when that happened. I was a freshman. But, you know, speaking with my father, I decided to continue on and get my earn my degree uh, with the idea that I would join as soon as I was done with school. So I graduated in 2006, in May of 2006, from the University of Maryland. And at that point, I decided to enlist into the United States Army with the idea of going as an officer. Unfortunately, it took a little bit longer than I expected because I had a dual citizenship with uh, with France. And in order for me to get my clearance, I had to renounce my French citizenship. So I went to the French uh, embassy, went through that whole uh, wonderful experience. And I took about a year and a half before the French allowed me to no longer call myself French. So, <laughs> yeah, um, from that point on, they even asked me if I wanted to join the French army. So that was comical. But, um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, in the meantime, I was just doing the different things, sales jobs, selling bolts, bolts, and, uh, bolts and nuts for uh, Fastenal. Then I sold the uh, voice over IP uh, phone systems for um, a company called Icor Networks. And then in uh, 2008, I finally had the opportunity to join. So my path was pretty simple. I, I got in and I went to uh, BASIC. Uh, with a bunch of regular folks, did my nine weeks, and after basic training, I, I went through officer candidate school for a couple of weeks. I think it's twelve weeks, and then it was bullet two basic officer leadership course, and then I, infantry basic officer leadership course. As soon as I was done with the infantry school, I went directly signed in with airborne school. Uh, as soon as I was done with airborne school, directly went into ranger school in August of two thousand nine. 
October 20, uh, 23rd, 2009, I graduated from Ranger School, and um, I did my best to get out of Fort Benning as fast as I could in order to, <laughs> in order to get to Carson, because my unit, where I was 45D, 4th Brigade out of Fort Carson, was deployed into the, in eastern Afghanistan, so I wanted to be out there with those guys. And, you know, within a couple of weeks of uh, Fort Carson, I was part of the IRT program, and uh, yeah, I was in Afghanistan in December, just like that. I just remember thinking, whoa, what just happened? Because <laughs> not even a year, but barely a year ago, it felt like I was, you know, in basic training and I was a civilian coming in. And now I'm I'm an officer in charge of, you know, 24 guys in one of the most kinetic places in the world. So that was a, it was a little shell shock. And, but I had the right leadership, you know, in my platoon. I had an incredible uh, platoon sergeant, Corey Staley. Um, I had incredible squad leaders, and I'm not just saying that, you know, just for the heck of it. I'm, I'm being honest. The only reason that I was able to be successful and learn how to be a decent uh, platoon leader is because I had the right NCO leadership and I had the right soldiers under me who took time to work with me, who listened to me, and I listened to them. And together, we devised a plan to make sure that we all came home. So that was my path into the Army, uh, and, you know, it was the best decision I've ever made. I would do it all over again. I just, you know, just wish I could still be doing it right now. Okay. So, you know, people, I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with the, uh, what happens when a soldier earns, uh, the medal of honor because it's such a rare thing. I have a buddy, Rob Miller from third special forces group, who's one of the only, uh, special forces guys who've been, you know, posthumously was awarded the medal of honor. And and it, it's a life altering experience, and people don't realize that. Before we talk about the actual what happened that day, um, can can you tell us a little bit how has it changed your life? Um, which which I know no doubt it has. How has it changed your life, and and how have you been able to adapt to that to that life changing experience? I mean, no kidding, right? Changing your life. It's uh, you're just a regular dude who you know did the same thing that thousands and heck millions of people, you know, prior to you or and currently are doing. And next thing you know, you're on Colbert show and, you know, Harvey show and you're doing Fox and friends and people are talking about you, asking you a bunch of questions. Heck, you guys are talking to me today. Um, it, what it did, it, it changed your life completely. You're no longer just you. You represent the military, you represent your specific branch. You represent the guys that you fought with and you, and the guys that never came home you represent their families you represent an idea and you represent your country. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, it's a heck of a commitment. But for me, it gave me an opportunity to get to talk about Command Sergeant Griffin, Major Gray, Major Kennedy, and Reggie Abdel Fattah, who, in my opinion, are the four heroes in this story. They're the guys that made the ultimate sacrifice. They're the ones that didn't get to come home. And then their families have to deal with the consequences. While I'm here living my life, and enjoying, you know, football and, and, and going out to dinners and, and, you know, spending time with my wonderful girlfriend, Carson, you know, these families don't have a key individual with them. So what the medal did, in essence, it, it, it put me out there and gave me a voice and gave me a platform to do some good, to bring some awareness, to support the veteran community, to go out there and no longer live my life just for myself, but to represent everyone else. And I am committed to it. And it's been difficult. I'm still trying to, you know, find my bearings to make sure I do it effectively and and 
you know, and I'm not just over there just bouncing around and making an appearance and just talking about something and, and about something I don't truly believe in. I want to make a difference. I want to make a positive difference. And I'm fortunate enough to have incredible other recipients who have taken the time multiple days out of their lives to talk to me and, and guide me in the right direction. But it's just a responsibility. And it's one that you really sort of can't avoid. You know, and they put you in front of the national TV and national media and then they, they write stories about you. And um, it's though uncomfortable and definitely very foreign and different. It's something that, you know, just like in the military, you have to adjust and adapt uh, real fast. And then you make it the way you feel it and you make it. And in my in my personal case, I want to make sure that every time I have an opportunity to speak about my guys, I talk about them, and every time an opportunity to make a difference in our community, I go out there and do it. Wow, that's great. That's it's such an inspirational perception and commitment that you've taken on because you've basically taken, you know, you've been handed one mission, which you, you accomplished, and in that mission, you know, had a life-altering experience, and then now you, you've been given a new mission, which, you know, isn't clearly defined, which you clearly defined. And now you're driven because of that. And uh, the, the most inspirational aspect of that is telling, I think, uh, of telling the story of the guys who paid the ultimate sacrifice, which I feel as myself being a private civilian now is is my drive and will is that my motivation. I wake up is, hey, I'm not living for myself. I'm living to be selfless, to talk about the guys who did make it back, um, to enjoy all these luxuries that we've been, we've been given. And, and, and I appreciate that perspective, sir. Um, talking about the actual event um, in which people earn uh, the Medal of Honor. Um, can you can you talk about in summary, like, you know, give us the narrative of how how the, it transpired and uh, kind of your mindset when the things were happening? Uh, uh, probably fast. Yeah, I, so August 8, 2012, I was in charge of a security team. I had five other soldiers under me, Brink, Mahoney, uh, Ochart, I had C-Corps, and I had Baldwin Rama, my medic. And we were protecting the uh, brigade commander, which at the time was Colonel Mingus, who, now, who is now Brigadier General Mingus and Command Sergeant Major Griffin. And the, the mission was simple. We were supposed to go to the Kunar Provincial Security Meeting. We've done this mission multiple times. We knew the area very well. I spent my entire first tour in that, in that area. So I was very aware of the, 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 the atmospherics, the terrain, and the threat levels over there. And But the problem is that specific day, we were escorting just a big package. My big package, I mean, I had two brigade commanders, three battalion commanders, an Afghan general, two command sergeant majors, one brigade level, one battalion level, two majors working at the brigade level, two GS-15 State Department uh, individual, Reggae Ruggie, USAID. And then I had my team of six of us plus, plus two. And we were, we were on a dismounted patrol that, I guess, traveled approximately 1,100 meters from the HLZ where we landed, Kafayas in eastern Afghanistan and Asadabad, Kunar province, to the security meeting um, location. So as we were walking about 250 meters away from a set of stairs that lead, that lead us directly to the compound, you had to cross a bridge. And at that point, uh, in right in front of us, about 150 meters in front of us, two motorcycles came at us uh, with uh, individuals on them. 
uh, real fast. Afghan National Army did a heck of a decent job, actually, pointing the rifles, yelling at them. The guys dumped their bikes and started running away, which at that point, mindset-wise, I was thinking, oh, this is not good. And as this happened, everybody was fixated at looking towards these motorcycles when my platoon sergeant uh, turned around to make eye contact with me to f- make sure I was tracking what was happening. As he turned around, I noticed that he started, you know, just staring to my left. I immediately looked to my left and I saw an individual that came out of a building. He wasn't there a couple seconds prior to that. And he was wearing his man jams, walking backwards and just, just out of place. So at that point, I realized that this was a threat, but I could not see a specific weapon on him. So I could not actually shoot him. He did a 180. Uh, and, you know, now walking forward, and then he immediately cut into our patrol. Um, as, soon as, as soon as he made his move, I left my position. I yelled at him. I ran. I, so I, I rushed at him, I yelling. I hit him with my rifle. And once I hit him, uh, my rifle, I hit him right in the chest. I realized that he had a um, suicide vest on or he had a vest on. Uh, then I grabbed him by the vest. And the only thing I could think was my job is so simple. I have the easiest job in the world. It is to protect the VIPs, which means that. I need to make sure that they don't get hurt. If that means that I lose my life, then that's okay. That's a good day at work, as long as they don't lose theirs. So I pushed him as far as I could. I threw him to the ground. Mahoney, you know, came down and, like, finished him off. And, uh, you know, he detonated at my feet. And at that point, threw me about 15, 20 feet, uh, landed on the ground. And I just remember uh, being knocked out for a couple minutes, coming back to it. You know, things were fuzzy. And. I saw my leg, it was missing, uh, my fibula was sticking out, and it was missing my, my calf, and it was burning, and my foot was looking, <laughs> staring at me. And I just remember thinking, well, right now I'm in shock because I can't feel anything. So that's not good. That leg's not going to be good, but uh, at least I'm in shock, and you know, I, I must be in a kill zone. I must have stepped in an IED. So I, I checked myself for other injuries, uh, specifically my balls. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, I couldn't find my rifle, so I, I found my pistol. I made sure I had a round, you know, in the chamber, and then I started, you know, crawling out of the, pushing myself away from the kill zone when uh, Brink came and picked me up uh, by uh, the handle of my plate carrier, dropped me into a ditch where my medic, you know, who's got a torn PCL, MCL, uh, specialist Badrama, he's, you know, starts working on me. I'm telling him, I save my leg. Doc, save my leg. So he's, he's, he's like, I got you, sir. We're going to save this leg. He's smacking me, making sure I don't fall asleep. <laughs> you know, Good all that stuff. And, and then, you know, to make it short after that, it's just kind of, I, I, I wanted a status report. What happened? You know, who, are, who, uh, who else is injured? And, you know, they came up to me and they said, hey, sir, uh, we, uh, uh, Commander Sergeant Major Griffin is KIA, and we lost uh, three others as well. And uh, I didn't believe it until they, they picked me up from that ditch and they, Dragged me to the to the vehicle to get Kazavak, and I saw all the all the all the all the guys out there just you know laying there and just pissed off. Um, it was one of those moments that you just can't exp- you go through so many emotions in that specific moment, and you can't put it all together. It's so hard to explain, but I just remember so much anger filling my my mind and, and my body, and uh, you know that was the moment and the date I'll never forget, and I'll live the rest of my life. You know, making sure that I earned that right to still be here today. Yeah, and and you absolutely earned it, sir. I, I think uh, so. You, in in that moment, you know, you you grab this guy and he's he de- he basically detonates on, on you, 
and and knowing you know obviously how suicide bombers operate downrange, they're they're trying to maximize casualties, and and not doing that, um, you know obviously would have killed and injured more people. And when when you think about that moment where you reacted, was it for you just an, an immediate action drill? I mean, it, it sounds to me it's like it's 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 instinctual, right? It's something that was trained in you, and you just reacted, and you didn't even think about it. Um, is is it something that you think happened subconsciously, or you or do, did you have to consciously make yourself move forward, or were you were you conscious and aware of the decisions you were making at the time? Yeah, instincts. Being yeah. loving your brothers, you know, loving your the guys to your right, to your left, to your front, and to your rear. Loving the fact that you get to wear the uniform, and loving the fact that you get to fight for our nation, no matter what the BS is in training, all that stuff. It's just like that. That's life. But in the end, when we serve and we're out there, we're gonna do everything that we can for for our guys. And in this case, it was all instincts. It's the training kicking in. It's the love that I have for every man, especially the boss, and it's just you know, our duty, understanding that I volunteer for this position, I volunteer for this job, and this was my job. So in my head, I'm, I'm, I'm designed that way. You know, I'm, I'm in tune, and this is, there's a threat, you know, and this is what we do. We take out the threat. In this case, I couldn't shoot him because I couldn't see a weapon, so I had to go physically t- towards him. And when I was committed, I didn't think about the consequences. I just knew I had a job. And I believe that every single man on my team would have done this. Every single man that I served with in combat would have done this. This is what makes us different than our enemies. This is why we are the best military in the world. And this is why people always look for us to solve issues when we have assholes, like we're fighting in the Middle East, trying to hurt us and destroy our way of life. Um, I re- you know, I, I always say this. I reacted the way every soldier infantry soldier would have reacted and i truly believe this i believe that i was just in that position i was in a location that allowed me to get there first and do the job and every single other person on my team would have done the exact same thing so but to answer your question in short yes 100 percent instincts and training that that's awesome and that's very selfless of you to say that sir and i, and I, I believe wholeheartedly that any of your guys have did the same thing um growing up in the infantry and then transitioning to special operations I feel the same way. It's all ingrained in us, and that's what makes us different than the, the savages that we're fighting overseas. Um, tr- transitioning into uh, kind of after the ceremony, and, you know, it's almost like, you know, you can call it paparazzi, the fanfare, and everything else. There, there's a there's a level in which, you know, I'm, I'm curious. Me and John have had conversations about this. But people, what people don't understand is someone like you, you know, who looks at this as, you know, timing-wise, you know, as a, as a potential opportunity and blessing to pass on um, stories of, of guys who were lost, um, be a spokesman for the U.S. Armed Services, and and turn it into a positive thing. But now let's talk about when you're laying in bed and you're and you're you know in silence, laying next to your girlfriend, and and everything shuts down for the night, and you're left there alone in your own thoughts. To me, the most difficult thing when looking at this situation and dealing it with with myself and and you know veterans who suffer from PTSD is how have you been able to cope with essentially reliving um, reliving the same scenario that where you lost four Americans um, and 
and and and deal with it and handle it? Are there certain things deliberately that you've had to do, or or have you always been prepared uh, in somehow some way with the coping mechanisms mechanisms to deal with this kind of uh, event? So. No, I was not always prepared for it. I think it's, you know, some people are, are, I think I was designed and I was, I've been, you know, able to stay mentally strong, but no, I, I've had my issues, you know, I call them my demons, uh, many, 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 many nights. And for a long time, I just could not sleep at all at night. You know, I would sleep, you know, two, three hours and it just didn't, didn't work for me. And you know, was, I had that anger originally in the hospital, and I had the right individuals come out and help me. So the way I dealt with, with you know, the, the PTS issues is through, you know, one, allowing a support system around me. Two, having that conversation with other veterans, talking about that day, uh, talking to my team. Uh, and, and talking about, you know, my feelings and, and my issues with people who are really close to me. I believe that that was the only way I could potentially deal with it. Uh, because if not, if I let it all just kind of bubble up inside of me, eventually it would, I would burst and the consequences of that could be very negative. So I just made a you know, decision on my own to make sure that I had the right support system around me and, and, and I seek that support system. I was lucky enough that I was at Walter Reed for a couple of years. So you know, there was a lot of vets who went through way worse stuff than me. I was one of the lucky ones. So, you know, I could relate to them and I could just go out there and, and speak with them and, and in return, provide them that same type of support. It's the brotherhood, you know, and it's something that only, I believe that truly only really vets can, you know, help out vets because they can understand what you went through. They understand the mindset. They understand the pain. So, but for me, I really needed that support system and I really needed to trust myself and allow myself to trust others because yeah. if it was just going to be me by myself sitting at night, then that's just not good. And then, you know, you know, icing on the cake for me was meeting Carson uh, 18 months ago and she's been, you know, sort of my rock and being able to listen to me and, and deal with my stupidities and my anger stuff. And, you know, I still got road rage <laughs> so, but uh you know it's, it's just I, I i've spoken to her a lot about this and you know we've had those nights where i'm drinking and i'm just sitting in a chair and she's just there listening to my soap opera but um you know and 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 those nights don't happen anymore really so it takes time it's patience trust in others so you know have a support system and you know, and go speak to your brothers and, and sisters and, and, you know, they'll help you. That's awesome. That's good advice, sir. We appreciate that. And uh, what does what, what the future look like for you? I mean, what's what's next? What are the next steps? What, what's the next 10 years of your life look like? That's a great question. So that's probably like my biggest frustration right now. I had my two, five, 10 year plans in the military uh, and then I got hit. And then I had my two, five, 10 year plans in the Department of Defense. And then I got the medal. So right now I'm trying to figure out that, I, you know, I, I quit on the two five ten because it's way too unpredictable. And I'm just kind of figuring out like month to month. And, and, and right now my ultimate goal is to, you know, associate myself with the right organizations to make a difference. Of course, I need to set myself up financially 
to be able to go out there and dedicate my time to help. So it's just one of those things. I'm going around. There's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of people that want you to be part of organizations, but it's about vetting them. It's about believing in their mission. It's about believing in my mission. And so it's taking time. Uh, but in the end, I believe that I'll be able to join a, a heck of an amazing organization or two and, and go out there and make a difference. That's that's great. And that's a great perspective. I, I used to have those two five tens and it's it's amazing how unpredictable civilian life can become once you get out. Yeah. You're depending on it's almost like day to day, hour by hour, it seems. So that's that's ironic. Um, I'm actually looking at the date and I wrote down eight August 2012. What's uh, kind of ironic and and when when I look at these dates is uh, my team. I had a special forces team as a master sergeant in 2012 at in, at Fort Carson, and we actually trained up. Uh, you guys' uh, reconnaissance element and snipers doing aerial, aerial gunnery. In fact, if you look at uh, my soft, on the soft survivor on the Instagram, there's a picture of one of my snipers training one of your snipers um, during you guys' uh, pre-mission profile or, or full mission profile prior to your deployment. So it's it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of uh, it's, it gives me chills almost looking at the dates and times because we're basically at Carson together. We served together. And I was there probably when you four deployed to meet your organization before. Uh, no, absolutely. Not only that, but I used to go up there to your uh, detachment to go get to go get ammo because you guys had so much ammo. And we, <laughs> we never had ammo. And I had some connects up there. And as an XO, you know, um, uh, in 2011 going to. Uh, so I used to go up there with temp crew and be like, look. Like, we really need some ammo for this range and blah, blah, blah. And it kind of worked out. So thank you so much for helping us out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was our pleasure. I mean, we, in fact, 4th ID being right next door, people don't know this, but 10th Group is uh, is almost co- co-located with 4th ID. And then we had real good working relationships with 4th ID. Um, sir, any, any closing remarks um, as we uh, conclude this uh, podcast? No, just, you know, one, I'm, I'm so appreciative that you, you guys consider me for this. Second, you know, thanks for allowing me to, like, mention the names of the guys that didn't make it because that means a lot to me. And third, just keep doing what you guys are doing. You know, you're bringing awareness and, and you're just you're highlighting some, you know, incredible individuals, incredible stories, and you're, you're making a difference. And uh, in whichever way I can help in the future, is you, you got my contact. Captain Florent Groberg. You know, as a former Special Forces Sergeant Major, I want to say, first of all, thank you for your service and what what by all accounts is your continued service. And it makes me proud, you know, to to, to have been a former veteran to to look at you and see what you're you're doing. And you're 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 a huge inspiration. Where where can people find you on social media or is there a points of contact or anywhere that people can go to 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 get more or to learn more about your uh, nonprofits and your experiences. Yeah, it just you know, Florent.Groberg is my name on Instagram and, and Twitter. I, I I need to get better at Twitter. Um, and then you can <laughs> find me on Facebook as well, at uh, Florent Groberg. So it's just I keep it simple because I'm a simple person. <laughs> so if not, I'll get. <laughs> if not, I'll, I'll 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 lose myself. But um, and um, and you know, you said thank you for sir. Thank you for your service. You know, thanks for everything you've done and and y'all have done. And it's just. You know, it's uh, I just find it quite amazing and, and, and a blessing that I've had the opportunity to serve with such, you know, incredible individuals and, and you know, and share that uniform with individuals such as yourself. 
Uh, thank you so much, sir. I, I hope you have a good one and uh, hope we get to have you on uh, maybe down, down the road. Yep. You got my number. Let me know. I love it. I'd love to. Yep. Take care, sir. Bye. Yeah, so that was a great interview with Florent, uh, Captain Florent Goldberg. Uh, we really appreciate him coming on. Uh, you know, he's a, a living Medal of Honor recipient, so that puts him in a very exclusive club. And as, as you guys are going to hear, or as you've heard, you know, he's a really solid dude. So, Mike, do you have anything you want to close out with? No, I just it was an honor and privilege to interview him. Yeah, a, what a humble, humble warrior. And uh, there's no better representative that I can think of. Uh, like you said, for like that 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 exclusive and small of a number of representatives of the armed forces that, you know, they didn't ask to be put in that situation. They just reacted and did their job. And then before they know it, their whole entire lives have changed. And he's got a big, big mission to and uh, to bear and a, a big burden or responsibility that he seems to have taken that mission and, and made it his own. And I think he'll do nothing but good things in the future. Um, we had a good podcast with him and then prior to that good podcast with Travis on, on the lone survivors situation. We're just, I just want to say thanks to all the, the listeners out there who are tracking us. Um, you can check us out uh, on our social media pages. Uh, John will drop that at the end. I want to mention that my, my Phil craft uh, minimalist kit is coming out. Actually, I, I didn't have it for sale yet. And I had it that I was going to be available 22 February, which is Monday, but some guys already went online and they bypassed it and just ordered it anyways, but it is available for pre-order. You can go on my website at philcraftsurvival.com. Um, that's philcraft with a C survival.com. And then in the store, you'll see a picture of it and it is available for pre-order for anybody who wants it. I'll just, I'll just start lining them up that way I can get it more organized, but I appreciate all the support on that. There'll be a YouTube link in there for the video. Uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about the kit and then on Monday, I'll add the description and all the uh, inputs uh, again. And uh, thanks again for, for tracking us and following us. If you got a second, if, if you listen, you know, take 40 minutes out of your day to listen to the uh, podcast please take a minute or two and, and write a, a review uh, that helps out me and John just to push the mission, which is just getting more information and more uh, people on the, on the line to uh, talk about good stuff. So thanks. Thanks again. Yeah. And, and you know, we, as Mike said, you know, we, we appreciate all of the good feedback and, you know, everyone who's tuning in every episode. Uh, but like Mike said, you know, if you can just leave a comment or, you know, give us a rating on iTunes, it helps. And it helps us to continue to give you guys good shows and, and get some really special guests on here. Uh, so you can catch Mike on his website. It's fieldcraftsurvival.com. Mike's Instagram is soft survivor. That's SOF survivor. And his Facebook is fieldcraft LLC. My website is globalrecon.net. My Instagram is IGRecon, and my Facebook is FBRecon. If you have any questions about anything you've heard on the show, you can send an email to podcast at globalrecon.net, and we respond to every single email. You can get a response from either myself or Mike on that email address. We respond to every direct message. We, we try and respond to the comments as much as possible. We want to give you guys as much information as possible. So we're going to put another episode out in a couple of days. We'll see you guys then. Peace. Peace.